Hi, this is Shane Ray. I want to welcome you to a new show here on WYRZ. It's called Connecting Counties, and it's sponsored by Duke Energy. And it's going to feature how Hendricks County is connected with the counties surrounding it, some of the similar problems that are faced, as well as some of the advantages. Your host will be local journalist Gus Piercy, and the show will air the fourth Wednesday of every month. And this week, Gus will be talking with the CEO of Gleaner's Food Bank. And now your host, Gus Piercy. Uh, my guest today is John Elliott, President and CEO of Gleaners Food Bank. And our subject today is hunger, or probably better uh, said, food insecurity. Thanks for being with us, John. Happy to be here. So tell me, the difference between hunger and food insecurity so it's, uh, it's somewhat subjective, uh, and I've seen some variation in terms of how it's used, but food insecurity is more not necessarily knowing where your next meal will come from and having some work effort to try to find that food and, and match it up. Hunger is typically implies there's not a solution available and you're going to stay hungry. Um, so it would be more the third world country version of not having food access where the U.S. and Europe and some other developed countries, there's a part of the population that can't get to food or misses some of their meals, but they're not typically missing every single meal. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So let's talk about um, uh, gleaners and how you're uh, approaching that problem. You're, you're a food bank that covers a 21-county service area? We are, and we're part of the Feeding America National Network. And every county in the U.S. plus Puerto Rico is assigned to one of those 200 food banks. So gleaners at its founding originally covered all of Indiana, and then over time, other food banks have cropped up and been given the assigned counties. And Gleaners now currently is 21 counties that are central Indiana and southeast Indiana. And how did you come to those counties? How did they become your... Well, the whole state was originally um, assigned to Gleaners at its chartering by Feeding America, the National oh, Network. Oh, okay. Um, and over time, you've had some other food banks that either Gleaners has started and spun out independently or food banks that have been founded outside the network applied to join, like the Catholic Charities Food Bank in Terre Haute, for example, that was admitted later and given its allotment of counties. So when we're talking about these counties, it looks like a lot of them are, are rural. We have Boone, Hendricks, Putnam, Morgan. Uh, Hamilton, which is pretty urban anymore, but but then you start to stretch down towards the southeast there, and it looks like a lot of those counties. Is it is it worse in some counties than in others? Yeah, the level of food insecurity and the poverty rate um, are not necessarily exactly the same percent, but they do tend to trend consistently across those counties, and uh, it's very high in some of the counties. However, some of the counties with high poverty rate also thankfully have lower populations, so the number of people that need to be fed is not necessarily as large. And so if you think about it, it may not be logical, but Marion County obviously has the highest food insecurity rate, highest poverty rate, and the largest number of people who are food insecure. But Hamilton County is second in terms of the number of people who are food insecure because it's 5% of a large population. 
where we have a couple rural counties where the food insecurity rate is over 30 percent but it's 30 percent of 10 or 12 thousand people it's pretty counter (laughs) counterintuitive right what so um so describe some of those people in hamilton county that may be food insecure because as I looked at the some of the statistics, there's always another uh, there's another aspect affecting the food insecurity, whether it be mental illness, whether it be job uh, loss, or talk about that. Well, so you hit on more than one topic there. So let me sort of um, parse it out, take them separately, right? So they're they're uh, by the last count. There were 26,760 food insecure people in Hamilton County. Unfortunately, a bit over 10,000 of them are children. And a growing percentage are senior citizens who obviously have other issues. And, And that highlights another piece of what you talked about is hunger is often the symptom, not the original problem. And so we're strategically changing the way Gleaners works and plans and allocates resources to really focus on both feeding the line, the healthiest, most nutritious mix of food we can, but then this other piece that we call reduce the line, which tries to work with partners and collaborate and communicate so that together we can simultaneously tackle the interconnected issues of poverty. It sort of accepts the client reality that they're not dealing with only hunger. They're likely dealing with a housing issue or transportation problems or unemployment or mental or physical health and so on. You can make the same list I can, Mm -hmm. but they stay in that situation if we don't help them solve those challenges simultaneously and not deal with hunger and isolation, then deal with housing and isolation, so on. So our our whole process is evolving now, Um, and and the realities are changing. We've got now more and more grandparents and great-grandparents who are raising their grandkids, Mm -hmm. and they don't have the savings or the income or financial resources to do that, and so they're making hard choices between medical care, prescriptions, eating themselves versus feeding their grandkids, or it may jeopardize their housing. And so, and and by the way, the, the in another example of interconnected, one of the primary reasons that these senior citizens are raising their grandkids is because the parents' generation is impacted so heavily by the opioid crisis, the, still the meth issues, you know, drug-related other crimes. Uh-huh. The parents may be incarcerated. They may have abandoned responsibility for the children. One way or another, these grandparents are ill-equipped, but they have these grandkids to feed, and then it's complicating their situation. It's certainly complicating gleaners' capacity to meet their needs. Right. Right. And also there's the whole publicity thing. Do they know about gleaners and how do they get those resources right. and do them? And Yeah. Um, the elderly population and food insecurity, that issue is only going to get larger. I mean, even if we did solve the opioid crisis, which we're not going to in any time soon, but without that as a factor, there's still going to be food insecurity among the uh, elderly who've retired and 
maybe don't have the income that they had, right? Right. Well, and that whole interconnected challenges of poverty is especially true with the seniors. And the consequences of not meeting all of those needs together, having solutions together, is amplified as well. I mean, I don't know if you take any, you know, prescriptions, but if so, when you go home tonight and you look in that prescription bottle, and I would bet in most cases it says take with food. Mm Mm-hmm. Yep. And it's a necessary part of the medical treatment that that medicine is combined with healthy, nutritious food to have its full impact on curing the patient. Well, what if there's no food in the house? Yeah. Yeah. Well, there's several other health issues that not being able being food insecure would cause, I would assume. Yeah. Actually, people don't realize they, they assume that access to health care and disease states are primarily driven by household income but actually food is a stronger indicator than uh, income of the 10 most prevalent chronic diseases and i'm talking about things like diabetes and heart health and so on the food you eat has more of an impact than your household income oh and so if we can change the mix of food that cleaners and our partners provide we can start having an impact on the difference between 34% of the food insecure of diabetes and 9.4% of the general population has diabetes. Mm-hmm. And a significant reason for that difference between 34 and 9% is the food they eat. Hmm. Interesting. And if you think about that as a taxpayer who, like me, thinks that government ought to justify every dollar they take out of my pocket, and you think about how do you avoid the expense of some of these taxpayer-funded or partially-funded programs, what if we can have half of those 34% food insecure never get diabetes in the first place? Think about the cost avoidance. All that medical care and cost would never happen. Right. Right. And people don't realize that. Plus... Uh, I would assume that food insecure also, you know, we talked about their health problems, but they probably cost more on uh, government health programs such as Medicare and Medicaid. Would that be a fair? Actually, yes. And, And the food insecure households on average in this country have 44% higher health care costs. Mm-hmm. And they can't afford it. They can't afford food, let alone 44% higher health care costs. Right. And then it just keeps feeding on itself and it gets worse right. and worse. So, you, I mean, so the types of... So let's talk about how you distribute uh, food um, to the 21 county service area. What kind of uh, transportation, what kind of food banks are you partnering with and that kind of stuff to get that out? So Gleaners, somewhat uniquely, has four parallel operations. Um, We are a traditional food bank that you and I have been talking about, and we have our 21-county service area. We also operate a produce co-op supporting 39 food banks across seven Midwest states where we bring semi-loads of single-item fresh produce straight from the farm, And then we send out mixed loads of produce to other regional food banks across the Midwest and to ourselves as one customer food bank. So that a share of that produce goes to our 21 Indiana counties. We also are a contract 
reclamation site for surplus food and non-food for Kroger stores across Indiana and Illinois. So some of that surplus from the Kroger stores comes to gleaners, it's sorted, and a majority goes out through our network. And then the fourth rule, we're a natural disaster response site, one of about 12 Feeding America food banks across the country that mobilizes network resources in response to natural disasters. And as somewhat an extension of that, we're a storage site for FEMA inventory, and we share our building with some other partners, too. So four parallel operations. When you talk about the food bank specifically in those 21 counties, um, we send food out through brick-and-mortar food pantries, which we call agencies, and they're the local sort of retail end of the of the process that's handing food to hungry clients. Mm-hmm. Then we, where there aren't enough of those, we have either food pantries in school buildings. There are fifty-five of those um, where we we use the school as the location to feed. In most cases, the neighborhood, not just the school population. Mm-hmm. And then we also supply back sacks to um, about 248 schools across those counties that give food to individual kids who've been designated by the school to receive these back sacks from cleaners, and it feeds them over the weekend. Mm. And then the fourth way is mobile food pantries, which is literally a gleaner's refrigerated truck that will show up, set up in a parking lot, Local volunteers reinforce our staff, and we'll distribute as much as ten or 12,000 pounds of frozen, refrigerated, and shelf-stable food. Um, in all of those, we're increasingly using our staff dietitian to do nutrition education, plan menus, recommend food combinations, teach people what the foods are, how to cook. There's this whole helping side too that's supplementing the food distribution through frankly all four of those channels and the uh, mobile when you say the brick and mortar pantries or agencies they're already filtering out people who who need what they have the food how do you do it in a mobile pantry situation is there any kind of filtering that goes on well, I'm not sure if I understand what you mean by filtering, but we don't require, and our partners do not require, proof of need. Okay. That's um, we are we are a courteous, respectful, non-judgmental, I would say, customer-friendly approach. Um, now we may ask a few questions, whether it's at a pantry or a mobile, but I would categorize those questions as service-oriented. Mm-hmm. You know, how many in your family? Do you have young children? Do you have seniors? So, if we have a limited supply of baby formula, we can match it to the families with babies. Or, you know, it's it's really aimed at at um, <clears throat> serving them better, not questioning their situation. Great. So, um, so the produce part of it, and you're doing refrigerated trucks, and you've got you've got uh, partnerships with uh, Kroger, and you're doing produce as much as anything. Is that true, or is it still mostly canned goods? Actually, the produce has um, increased dramatically since the launch of that uh, produce co-op in May of 2017. Um, it is, I would frankly categorize that as the second 
period of transformational change in food banking since we started. The hmm. first trans- period of transformational change was in 2007 and eight, when the food retailers, Kroger first and then Safeway and Walmart and others quickly followed mm-hmm. um, to donate food from perishable departments in the stores, which had not been done before for fear of legal repercussions. Um, it's been proved safe. Uh, interestingly, under the protection of a law passed by former U.S. Senator Dick Luger from Indiana, uh, the author of the Good Samaritan Act, which is the legal cover for retailers to donate perishable food. Hmm. Uh, the same senator who um, sponsored the other of the two most significant pieces of legislation that help feed the hungry, and that's the school and lunch program. With, and is that part of the back? back well, no, I'm so actually in that case, I'm talking about the senators uh, brought to us the school lunch and breakfast program that's now significant across the country. And right. in fact, here in Indiana, if you take all the meals provided to those who are hungry, the four federal programs are 82% of all meals and cleaners, even though we did 28 million meals last year, we were 8% of the mix. Wow. So these federal programs, their impact is huge. And and the, the Luger-led legislation on school lunches led to today 19% of all meals for the hungry in Indiana coming from the school lunch program and 8% from us. So those those other programs, those federal programs are critical. Of course, in this, as we have what I think is a temporary interlude of the federal government open right now, um, or between rounds of chaos, I guess I would say, from the social service perspective. Right. Um, it certainly highlights the indispensable nature of those four programs funded under the U.S. Department of Agriculture appropriation, which is one of those not yet appropriated. Wow. Wow. So how are you keeping, what did you have to do to keep, start keeping vegetables and produce fresh? I assume there's an awful lot of refrigeration going on in gleaners. <laughs> Right. I mean, you know, Glaners has tens of thousands of square feet, both on the refrigerated and the frozen side. Mm-hmm. So obviously one of the reasons Gleaners was one of the eight food banks around the country chosen to host a, a produce co-op is because our building had that capacity. Um, that said, our freezer is getting pretty full on a regular basis, uh, more from meat and other items than the, the produce at, at their how full the cooler is varies day to day, but the impact of that produce co-op merchandise flowing through, even with quick turnaround, is is starting to make our operations more complicated. How did you get to be? How did Gleaners get to be so big, history-wise? Is um, you know, it's just as we continue to grow, not just Gleaners, but every food bank around the state continued to grow to try to meet the scale of need Mm -hmm. and we're not there yet gleaners the number of meals distributed by gleaners from 2017 to 2018 increased by 15 percent which if we were a for-profit company and said that our sales growth was 15 percent we'd all be eating our chest with pride and and yet we can't because that 15% increase got us to 39% of the meal gap in our counties. 
Go back Meaning, and say that again. <laughs> so, so there is so the Feeding America National Network builds a report okay. called Map the Meal Gap. Okay. And that report literally says county by county, in some cases down to zip code level, here is the gap of meals that people are missing. Okay. And so Gleaners then sets out to close that gap to zero in every county. However, at 28 million meals, we only provided 39% of the meals needed. Ah, okay. Which means we can't. We can't take our foot off that accelerator, right? We, in theory, need to be two and a half times our size. And I wake up focused not on the 39% of meals we provided, but the 61% of meals that were still missed. Statewide, that's 170 million meals a year. Wow. And any ideas on how you're going to close that gap? Not alone. And that's frankly part of the... That's part of the thinking behind a strategy that now has not just the traditional feed the line piece, but that reduce the line piece of the strategy. You know, that we're, we're not going to close the whole gap. So we need to be um, sort of approaching from top and bottom, you know, coming, coming up to provide more meals, but also shrinking the total number of households that are in the line and close the gap from both sides. How can how can uh, people help uh, with this problem? Uh, eventually, we're going to have to start talking. It costs money to make these meals, right? Well, it does. And obviously, I'm glad you asked the question because then I don't have to figure out a time to force it into the conversation, right? <laughs> is, is um, you know, these days we really need cash contributions because we can go out to the to generous food companies that give us deep discounts companies like Kraft and General Mills and Nabisco and, and so on and and buy food buy the semi load that really only gleaners has the scale to do and then we distribute it to all these partners and we can do that with cash and if you combine that with the food that's donated through retailers and otherwise, we can we can produce 3.1 meals with one cash dollar. Hmm. But if you then contrast that to the old-style food drive, which we're discouraging people, we're discouraging fun drives, not food drives. If you take a loose can of soup that costs a dollar and a Boy Scout picks it up at your front door and they transport it and then it's consolidated, it's transported again, and then it's sorted by volunteers and gleaners and, you know, it, it's in this loose bin, it's transported again to a food pantry. And pretty soon, that dollar can of soup has a 4 or $5 cost by the time it's handed to a hungry family. Right. What if we buy that can of soup at 20 cents, 20% of retail? and still handle it once or twice efficiently by the caseload or by the pallet load, and its cost handed to the hungry family is still less than the shelf price. Hmm. So that's one way we can close the gap faster. We can pick healthier foods and a more nutritious variety of foods when we're shopping versus when we passively wait to see what people choose to donate. And we can, by having cash donations, not loose food donations, we affect hunger and health outcomes. Our operating efficiency is dramatically lower, and or sorry, better, and we can provide more meals with the same resources and close the gap. 
Well, yeah, and so taking the soup can to school may not be the best way to help, huh? What, what do you it's, think? It's, it's honestly not. What, you do know, you, what do you think is the number? Um, number of? You mean financial number or yeah, what's the annual number? Needed to. Well, so currently, you know, Gleaners, Gleaners raises at least $8 million a year in charitable contributions. And more, as I indicated earlier, we're only getting part of the job done. So it, it may very well take double that or more. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, can people help by volunteering for the food pantries and that kind of stuff? Does that help? Uh, it absolutely helps at any point in the process. So obviously we have tens of thousands of volunteers a year at the Gleaners building. And they frankly do about 40% of the work done by Gleaners with staff doing the other part. Uh-huh. But if it's more convenient, if it's somebody's preference to stay in their neighborhood, they could volunteer at a school-based pantry or one of our partner agencies. They can volunteer at one of these mobile pantry distribution sites. Anywhere in the process, help is needed. But also, as our work gets more complicated, people who think that maybe there's nothing they can contribute or do on the volunteer side that's there's something for everybody we you know i was on a phone call earlier this morning talking about um supply chain software systems okay you know, so yeah. so we need it help we need hardware help we you know we need trucking and transportation planning help we need warehouse help we you know, obviously, we're a large you're employer. You're on that scale of moving food. I mean, you're at that right. scale of semi-moving food, refrigerated trucks and right. that kind of stuff. So, yeah. So there is there is something everyone can do, either providing resources or sharing their talent. And so, if they go to gleaners.org/slash/donate mm-hmm. or gleaners.org/slash/volunteer, we can match them to the way they want to help. And what do, where is the food bank? Where is Gleaners physically located? So we're at Kentucky and Hannah on the southwest side of Indianapolis. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's literally across I-70 from the airport. Oh, okay, yeah. Right. In fact, as you take that ramp on I-70 to choose either southbound or northbound on 465, as you hit the curve of that ramp, 465, you're looking at the wall of our building. Oh, okay. All right. I know where that is. Yeah, that's pretty cool. And, and you, have you been there for a few years? So I was on, uh, you know, I was a Kroger executive before being a cleaner. You've been with cleaners, what, two years now? So, yeah, it's been two and a half years in this role, but I was on the board before that, and even before I was on the board, was involved in helping food banks across uh, a couple of Midwest states. So what? So it's not a new topic. What what uh, what sparks you to do this? What drives your passion for this work? This kind of work. I think hearing from the individual clients we serve. You know, I'm energized. I'm encouraged by the families we help, and I, and I spend a lot of time talking to our staff too about being mindful of the large scale, the scope of the challenge. And, you know, think about tens of millions of meals, but don't think only about that. You know, just be mindful of that. Really focus on each individual face of hunger. And and I follow my own advice, I guess. I, you know, I love hearing the stories where we could make a difference. Um, I'm frustrated by the stories uh, where we haven't made enough difference. 
I'm a bit frustrated by people who stay in line because when we feed them it's not enough, they still have an unemployment or a health problem or a housing problem. That's that's what's behind this right. expanded strategy. Um, but I'm also encouraged by how many other organizations are talking and thinking the same way. We are not the only organization um, talking about collaboration and shared resources and sharing of data and analysis and handing off clients in need from one to the other until all their problems are solved. Um, it's increasingly becoming the way all organizations that could contribute are talking. They have to. Well, I agree, but that doesn't mean they would. Sure. I guess my point is they really are thinking the same. There's alignment of mission and purpose, but also of process. Right. And that was where it probably could be the most helpful. Right. right. In the process. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So what's the future for gleaners? Well, we're still we're redefining it. That strategic plan I was talking about is in process. We had a retreat last week to mm -hmm. sort of bring the efforts of five separate working groups together. Um, and now we're starting to share that draft strategy with community stakeholders and get some feedback and then refine it in response until we get to a version that the board will vote on either end of February or end of March, depending on how soon we're ready. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's very good, and I, I wish you luck on all that because I know this is not a problem that's going away anytime soon because primarily I would think the – I mean, it, it is kind of good economic times sort of until you you know take the government out of the situation, but the unemployment is at its lowest, and yet we still have a significant amount of food insecurity going on. Well, and really what happens is when you have these these economic measures that state of Indiana should be proud of, right. you know, and I've talked to the governor about it, right. you know, you know, that he should be proud of the unemployment rate and the economic growth and, you know, the savings account that Indiana has with neighbors like Illinois are in, in frightening deficit situations. You know, there should be pride there, but don't forget those who are left behind by that and that behind that unemployment number there's an underemployment uh, situation too where households are working and most of the people we serve who are food insecure are working they just don't earn enough to feed the whole family for the whole month so they need some supplemental help and I think that is hidden behind those overall economic numbers right yeah. So don't just think unemployment, think, but behind that, how much underemployment. John, is there anything else that I uh, did not cover in our... In, uh, I don't think so. Actually, you've uh, pretty you built a good checklist there, but I would say <laughs> thank you, too, because um, obviously I'm eager for any opportunity to, to fill in the gaps when people tend to know some of what we do, but not all what we do, or to encourage people who think they can't make a difference that they really can make a difference. So I appreciate the, the opportunity. My guest has been John Elliott, President and CEO of Gleaners Food Bank. Learn more about Gleaners at gleaners.org on the internet. Gleaners.org. Thanks, John. Thank you. This has been Connecting Counties with your host, Gus Piercy. 
This program has been underwritten by Duke Energy.